Good morning, everybody. How you doing this morning? Uh, we're glad that you're here. Welcome. Uh, did we run out of cards in the back, by the way? Did we run? Oh, we apologize. We've had so many people here this morning. We only had so much every week, and so I guess the last couple of weeks we've been running out of cards. So sorry, but did anybody get the gold foil card in here? Is anybody getting a? What? No way, Phil. Congratulations, man. That's a collector's item. You're gonna want to hold on to that. The, uh, the new Samson card came out today with Eric Maitland's face on it. Did anybody get that? Very rare. Very rare. It goes for a lot on eBay. I, actually, I'm not making this up. I caught Eric trying to steal one from a five-year-old at the first service. So watch out, man. Uh, we're having fun as we talk about raising up the next generation who knows the Lord and what he's done. Through this summer, we've been studying the book of Judges and seeing what happens when one generation uh, grows up who knows neither the Lord nor what he has done, Judges 2.10. Eventually, it leads to pretty much the most horrific events in all of the Bible. If you've never read the book of Judges, uh, there is violence and warfare and all kinds of atrocities that occur because the Israelites repeatedly cut God out of their lives. But he doesn't give up on them. He will send these various leaders that we'll call judges, that will deliver them from their enemies. We've looked at Ehud or Ehud. Uh, we've looked at Deborah. We've looked at Gideon. Uh, we've looked at Jephthah last week. And now we'll be looking at the life of Samson. So turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 13. And I'm eventually going to get there as a part of a two-week sermon on Samson. Now, why does Samson get two weeks? Because there's a lot of chapters of Scripture that talk about one of the most well-known judges in the Old Testament, this guy that had super strength. He was, uh, his birth was announced by an angel. Uh, he was set apart and chosen to deliver the Israelites. He is massively empowered with the super strength. He even, in the verses we're going to look at today, he tears apart a lion with his bare hands. He will uh, kill a thousand men. He will co compromise his vow for God for a handful of honey. He has uncontrollable fits of rage. So this guy that has all kinds of strengths will lead to some of the greatest destruction in his life as well. And I think in our culture, you can sometimes see that our greatest strengths can very quickly become our greatest weaknesses. He will even uh, harm 30 men to pay off a gambling debt, and he has an insatiable weakness for women in his life. Which, let's get real for just a second. We act like Samson was this guy that had all of this amazing opportunity that he wasted it all, but the truth is, as humans today, we do much uh, similar things. In fact, uh, if I was thinking about this. Like, think of how many of us we will work hard and use our skill set and our strengths and our talents at work so that we can achieve things. We'll even work hard in the gym, dude, so we get those beach muscles during the summertime looking good. And we'll put no effort or work at all into our homes, our marriages, into our children's, or even our roommates' relationships. We'll spend five hours researching our next purchase, but can't find five minutes to dive into God's word. The truth is, what Samson was susceptible to, we all are. Uh, you know, uh, I, I've, one of the things I think about when I, I think about Samson, I don't know, I'm weird. I think about my son, Jet. Most of you don't know Jet. He's like the sweetest kid in the world, but he's like a little tank. 
And he has gotten physically strong enough that as his father, sometimes it's not easy to discipline him. And I'm going to be sharing this morning how I have failed miserably as a father and why I think sometimes our Heavenly Father looks at us the exact same way. And my son, even, this week embarrassed me in front of my own parents, which for the parents in the room, there's nobody you want your, parent or your kids to be well-behaved in front of more than your own parents, is there? There is no greater judgment in the world than when your parents think you're a bad parent. <laughs> Amen, said the Lord. And uh, what, what I want to share with you this morning is, in a seven-year-old child's life, we can see some of the mishaps of how he's missing out on what his father wants for him. And I think sometimes for us in the room, we miss out on the good things our spiritual heavenly father desires for us. Let's get into Judges chapter 13. You ready to study God's word together, church? Look at this with me. It says this, uh, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Think of that. So because they turned their back on God, they actually spent 40 years with their worst enemy ruling over them. And it's only when God raises up Samson as they cry out to him that they will be delivered. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. Quick side note, the Danites, the tribe of Dan, was not one of the good tribes in Israel. So if he could raise up a deliverer out of Dan, he can raise up uh, strong followers of Jesus out of people in this room. If you don't come from the greatest family in the world because of the sins of your fathers or your mothers does not mean that you have to become the person your parents were. If you're here this morning, I want to tell you, you can become the person God created you to be. See, what happens next is the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because he's going to join this awesome band and he needs to get ready, man. You know the story of Samson. He doesn't get his hair cut. Why? Because that's where his strength is, right? But actually, his strength comes from the Spirit of the Lord. The, the hair was an act of obedience to honor God with what is considered a Nazarite vow. Look what it says here. The razor, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb, he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So it wasn't like God put some type of DNA in the Samson of uh, hair that made him super strong. It was that by being obedient to God, the Spirit of the Lord was upon Samson so strongly he had super strength. And one of the things I want to encourage you this morning as we get into this passage, the most important thing to address the issues that we're going to talk about, and we're going to get real this morning, I hope you're cool with that, is that we need God more than ever in our culture and in our lives. And as I was preparing for this this week, dude, I've had like three weeks off from preaching, so I got a lot of energy this morning. I'm not going to apologize for it because God has been speaking to me about my own life, just how real he is. Sometimes we believe in God in our heads cognitively, but it's like he's really far and distant. He doesn't really care about what's going on in our lives. The Bible teaches us that the Spirit of God is with us in the room right now. If that's real, doesn't that freak you out? And he knows everything we've gone through this week. 
He knows the, the good choices we've made, and he knows the bad choices we've made. He knows the ways that we've struggled and felt anxiety and worry and hurt and pain. He knows the ways we've discovered joy and friendship, and he knows every aspect of our lives. And I want to tell you this morning, is when we get into this, at the heart of this, by the end, is that we push God out of the very parts of our lives that we desperately need him. And if we got real this morning, because this summer, as a part of our Judges series, we've been talking about becoming spiritual leaders, if you remember the first two weeks. Week three, we talked about our calling. Last week, we talked about finding freedom in Christ. This week, I want to talk about the temptations the enemy wants to use to steal, kill, and destroy in your life to prevent you from becoming the spiritual leader he designed you to be. And that most of us don't invite God into those struggles and we try and fight those battles all on our own. It doesn't have to be that way. See, here's what happens in Judges 13. So the boy is going to be born. His name is Samson. He was told by an angel of God. Some scholars believe it was a theophany, meaning that it was actually Jesus, God incarnate himself. Uh, we don't know for sure, but what we do know is that God sends this messenger, tells him the, the boy is going to be born. Manoah, the dad's like, how in the world are we going to raise a kid with super strength? So they're like, hey, go get that angel back. So the message, read it on your own. The messenger comes back and he explains everything to them. And then they're freaked out because they realize they really heard from God. And they're like, we're all going to die. And then they're like, no, you're not going to die. You're going to live because you got to give birth. That's what I just said. Are you listening? So look what happens in verse 24. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Dan between Zorah and Eshtol. In the 40 years the Philistines had ruled would about, was about to come to an end. But at the same time, all of the strengths that God had given Samson, he misuses them repeatedly. And he actually causes all kinds of problems, not only for himself, but those he cares about and the Israelites themselves. See, Samson was an incredibly strong person with a dangerously weak will. And I think for some of us this morning, if we were honest, we struggle with the same thing. So let's pray. God, again, uh, I thank you for everybody. I mean, all three services, we've just been having more people show up. It's summertime. It's beautiful out. The lake life's going on. Kids' sports are going on. And people have come here or attended online to study your word and hear from you. So we acknowledge your presence. And God, I just pray right now, whatever you have to say, that like, I wouldn't get in the way. I'm not adequate to be your messenger. And so I just pray, Jesus, that you take my words away and they would only hear what you have to say to them through your scriptures, through your word, and that we might live differently because of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. See, as we get into the life of Samson, you're going to see him misuse some of his strengths and cause some problems along the way, even throw a little temper tantrum every once in a while. I, I told you about my son, Jet. Like, Jet's seven. He's like the sweetest thing in the world. I love him to death. We're also kind of similar. He looks a lot like me. He behaves a lot like me, so we butt heads. It's just how it goes in family, right? And recently this week, uh, my, uh, my daughter turned 10 years old. Um, my wife, she was born on my wife's birthday, so both my uh, wife, Lisa, and my daughter, Jenna, celebrated birthdays this weekend. So be sure and tell Lisa happy birthday. 
but she turned 10, and so my parents have this thing with the grandkids. When they turn 10, they take them on a special trip just with them. So Jenna's the only daughter with like eight boy cousins. So she has been looking forward to this with no cousins there, just grandma and grandpa for years. She was really excited. So my parents came to pick her up. And of course, Jet realized he wasn't getting enough attention. So he did what you do when you're seven years old. He began to act out, uh, called his brother some names, said some words he's not allowed to say in our household. So we did what we do. Come on, when a seven-year-old acts up, if you want to discipline them, what do you do? First step, take technology away. Anybody with me? So we took the iPad away, said you can't have that. Have you ever tried to take an iPad away from a seven-year-old? I mean, it's like you're telling them you're never going to eat food again in your life. We're going to starve you to death. He, he got very upset, was very frustrated. He began to launch into all kinds of things. Dad, I want it. I want it, Dad. I got to have it. You don't understand. I want it. I was watching this video, and my life's going to fall apart. if I can't, I'll never be happy in life. I, I don't just want it, Dad. I need it. I deserve it, Dad. I deserve it. And then here's where it goes next. Eventually it goes into, but dad, if you give it back, I won't do it again. I promise I can handle it this time, dad. And I realized I walked, he's getting frustrated. We finally had to walk him up, put him in his room for timeout because he's not listening and do all the kind of discipline stuff you have to do as a dad. It's not fun for anybody. And I walked down so frustrated with him. And all of a sudden it hit me. Like, I wonder how much God has that same feelings towards me sometimes. That, that I think that I deserve stuff. I see stuff that I want to have, and I'm like, God, I can't be happy without it. I want it. I lust after it. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, 1 John 2, 6. How many things in my life that I feel like I... I deserve it, and I got to have it, and, and, and I can handle it, God, if you just let me get out of my way, God. You been there? And I wonder how many times our Heavenly Father goes, hey, you don't understand. I love you more than any other human being will ever love you. I want the best for you. I want you to become the person I created you to be, but you don't even understand the things that you're asking. And it's actually the enemy that wants to come and steal, kill, and destroy and tempt us to, to keep us from becoming the spiritual leaders God wants us to be. And Samson has that so strongly in his life. These three points I'm going to share with you uh, come from Craig Rochelle, a pastor in Oklahoma. I heard this about 15 years ago. It's always resonated with me. Three attitudes that make strong people weak. This mentality, one, of lust, that I want it. You see something and you want it. Now, yes, that includes in the area of uh, physical or sexual lust. Look at Judges chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. Samson went down to Timnah, and there was a young Philistine woman. Now, pause just for a second. So in you know, Jewish culture, part of the thing, they were the chosen people of God, so they should look for a spouse out of someone else who also believed and worshiped God with their life, which wasn't the Philistines. Those were the pagans. And he takes one look at this woman that he knows he's not supposed to marry. And look what happens in verse 2. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, Hey, I've seen a Philistine woman, and she's looking pretty good. Now go get her uh, for me as my wife, because I saw her, I liked it, I want it. <laughs> Period. There was no courtship. 
No, well, I want to find out if uh, where they're at spiritually. There was no, and, and for some of us, that first temptation the enemy wants to use that of lust in our lives, we see something and we want it. And so when we can't have it, we feel like we won't be happy unless we get it. And so some of us, we turn to relationships that aren't God-honoring and get physical in ways that we know is not honoring to the Lord. We turn to things online, no condemnation, not judging this morning, but we're being real. It's the enemy that wants you to live in shame for the rest of your life over your choices, not God. He offers you grace and forgiveness, but he requires that you admit it and repent. And it's a beautiful action, not a horrible one. That, that we turn to things and images and other things because we see something, we feel like I want it and I can't be happy without it. It's not just physical attraction, by the way. We do this with cars, houses, jobs, even friendships. And we see something, I want this and I, I can't be happy without it. And if I don't get it, then, then God must not be listening to me and he doesn't care about me. And before you know it, I don't know about you, but I'm throwing a little tantrum like a seven-year-old behaving in ways that aren't honoring to God because I think God's not gonna give me what I want. I was thinking about this too, you know, um, I grew up in a small town in Indiana. And uh, when I graduated college, I moved to Southern California to Los Angeles. And there's like 24 million people in Los Angeles. There was like 6,000 people in my hometown. Uh, there were 65 people in my graduating class in high school. And, you know, there are lots of good things uh, about a big city and bad things. There's lots of good things about a small town and bad things. One of the good things about a small town, when you have a friendship or a relationship and you uh, break apart that relationship and you have conflict, you eventually have to make up because you're going to see that person again. And you only have a couple of other options, so you might as well make up. When I moved to L.A., if you had a problem with anybody, you just never talked to that person again, and you talked to one of the other 24 million people in your neighborhood. Not a healthy habit to develop to have long-term healthy relationships. And I think a lot of times it's because we always think the next new thing is finally going to make us happy. And the enemy wants you to look at that and say, I want it. I got to have it. And I'll never be happy until I have it. Why? Number two, because the enemy also uses entitlement that I deserve it. I don't just want it. I deserve it. If she would just, you know, give me what I wanted, I wouldn't turn to these other things because I deserve it and she's not listening. If he just gave me what I wanted because I deserve it, then I would give him things that he desired and when in our marriages, we just bicker with one another over entitlement and what we think we deserve. It's not just true in our marriages, it's true in other relationships. And I believe that what you see here in, in Judges 14 is the beginning of this for Samson. So he sees this woman, he lusts after, he says, I gotta have her. And then he's walking along to the village uh, back home and he sees this lion along the way and he actually tears it apart, this weird, creepy story, tears it apart. He, he had the super strength to use for anything to deliver Israel. What he thought he'd do? I wanna go harm some lions. Tears the lion apart, leaves the dead carcass there. He goes to the village, he comes back. The carcass is now rotted and there is honey growing inside of the skeleton. How many of you be like, oh, that sounds delicious. I just really love a piece of that. 
Well, you got to understand, in Israelite, this time period, it wasn't like he was going to the local quickie mart and picking up some gummy worms on his way home, right? The only sugary substance that they looked forward to, this delicacy, was honey. And he sees it in this animal's carcass, and he takes a handful of it, and he eats it. Now, what's wrong with that? It's disgusting. We all know that. But what else? He's actually breaking the vow he made to God by eating it out of a dead animal's carcass because you were not supposed to touch things like that. So he breaks his relationship with God over a little handful of honey. Look with me, it says this. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. In it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands and ate as he went along broke his vow with God over a little bit of honey, I would argue you've done it for less. Your relationship with God broken after some quick images online because you feel like you deserve some things. We wreck our homes over it because I felt like I deserved better. Look, I'm not telling you you shouldn't have healthy boundaries in your, your relationships or that you, you should put up with physical abuse in any way, shape, or form that if there's emotional manipulation and abuse, that you shouldn't create healthy boundaries in your families and deal with those things and seek white Christian counsel and all of that. Absolutely. What I want to say through God's word this morning is that this mentality of entitlement and I deserve it, I think is an epidemic in American culture in particular. In fact, there are, there are non-Christian sociological studies. You can go read a book by a, a professor named uh, Jean Twang. She was a professor at San Diego State University uh, of Sociology. And she wrote a book about 15 years ago called Generation Me, where she studied the generation under the age of 40, which would be significantly older now, and looked at what 40 years of talking about having high self-esteem did for people. Believe in yourself. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps and, and make your life happen. You deserve to have great things in your life. Look, most of us have a horrible inner critic. God wants you to value your life, to think good thoughts about yourself and those around you. But he also tells us that our value system should go like this, that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and being. We should love our neighbor as ourself. God first, others second, ourselves third. He tells us to pick up our cross daily and follow him, that there is a sacrifice that comes to living for him. As Paul says in Galatians 2.20, for I have died and no longer live, but the life I live is through faith in the Son of God. There is this denial of self to put God first, others second, and ourselves third. But American culture often teaches us to put ourselves first, primary, because we deserve it. We got to have it. And you know what that sociologist discovered over the last uh, decades of teaching that to our children? We, we had raised the most entitled, narcissistic generations the, the world had ever seen that had led to some of the greatest atrocities in American culture with people... Uh, you know, killing other human beings simply because they're saying narcissistic things along the way because they deserve and value things they didn't get. Was that too much? Like, I'm not trying to like make anybody feel bad this morning. I'm trying to get real that this entitlement problem, it creates all kinds of issues in our marriages and our dating lives and our uh, habits dealing with lust and all kinds of stuff. 
It's even in our area of finances. I believe in counties like Hamilton County, one of the greatest temptations the enemy uses is, well, you deserve to go spend this money on lavish things because you earned it and worked for it. But God's word says that everything we have is God's and you never know what could be taken away from you. That we're supposed to honor God with the first 10% of our resources and trust him with the next 90% to utilize it however he sees fit. By the way, I always love preaching on these things until it's something I struggle with. You been there? So I'm not trying to step on any feet. I'm trying to be honest. Entitlement, that feeling of deservedness, the enemy loves to use that. These cheap thrills on the computer screen because I didn't get what I deserved ends up actually disrupting and destroying our lives. That's what happens to Samson. By the way, he will marry this woman and it doesn't last long. Goes really bad. So does his next marriage, by the way. And he begins this repetitive pattern of entitledness causing problems in his life. The Bible says that our, well, our culture says you deserve it because there's a little God in all of us. The Bible says there is only one God and you are not him. And, and I just want to tell you, like, to live a life of self-sacrificing love for God first and others second is not easy. It doesn't get easier as you get older. It's easier to get jaded as you get older, man. But to live with the humility that we see Jesus live with takes real effort, prayer, and longing for him. I can't tell you how many people who have felt like, I'll never get over this habit that the enemy uses in my life. So if you're here today and you're struggling with lust or the other things I've mentioned, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to say you can live differently. But it's not gonna happen on your own willpower. We see that in Samson's life because that's the third temptation the enemy loves to use is our pride. I can handle it. I got this. I don't know about you, I come, I've come from a German family. We don't talk about feelings. We don't talk about things we're really thinking. And that's rude. If you do, I can handle it. Don't ask me, I got this. And the truth is, we don't. Look what happens here in Samson. And it may seem insignificant, but I would argue he's laying the groundwork of something that will become a huge problem in his life. Look at verse 10. Now his father went down to see the woman and Samson made a feast there, as was customary for bridegrooms. So he has this woman, he knows he's not supposed to marry, and he, he runs and he's going to marry her anyway. He's going to cause all kinds of problems for everybody involved. Uh, when he gets there, he's, he throws a feast, which was customary, but there were different types of feasts that you could have. There's Shabbat is a feast where on the Sabbath day, you take break bread with one another. But the word here for feast in this passage is the word mishta. Mishta is a Hebrew word that comes from the root, which means to drink. This was the type of feast where you have a celebration or occasion for drinking. We all tracking? Basically, he's like, I got this. I can marry this woman. It's all right. I'm the judge of the Lord. I'll be fine. And then when he gets there, he's like, I can handle a lot. Just let me show all you Philistines. Let's have a big kegger on me. And they throw this huge party with lots of wine and beverages floating around. He's going to make poor choices because of that. But here in this passage, it's just the beginning of something will come. Why did he throw that type of feast to have lots of drinking happening at that time? Some of us, we think that we can take just a few drinks and we're going to be okay. It's all right. I got it. I can handle it. And then we have problems that we suddenly see that we couldn't. 
We think that, oh yeah, I can have friendships with women and, and men and things that I'm attracted to and it won't become a problem. We put ourselves in compromising situations and then one day we find out that we can't. We say, I don't need the parameters online because I know that I can handle this and then one day that we can't. Our pride, the enemy, I, you know, it was C.S. Lewis. I didn't say this at the other services. C.S. Lewis actually believed uh, that pride was the greatest temptation of humans. That this was the way the enemy most often got to us, was to think we got this and we don't need God, we're fine. You know what happens to Samson because of this? So it's not just here, he throws his keg around, I'm not gonna handle alcohol. It will become, that's why he thinks he can touch the, the dead, right? That's why he thinks he can drink a lot and get into those alcoholic problems. He, it's why he thinks that he can uh, handle the Philistines no matter the cost, and he can tell Delilah his secret, and she can uh, cut his hair, because in the end, he just thinks that he can't be harmed, because I got this, and he forgets that it's not the hair that gives him the power, it's the spirit of God with him, and he loses that. He breaks that vow. He breaks that relationship. And you know what ends up happening to him? We'll get into it next week, but he has his eyes gouged out and he's going to die. It's not a pretty ending. And it all starts with the pride that Samson uh, has in his life. And no judgment, because the truth is, we all struggle with this as well. If you want to be a strong woman or man of God, admit your weaknesses. Admit that you can't handle it. So I've, I've worked with uh, 20-somethings many years, and a lot of times with guys, we'll talk about issues of uh, physical lust. We brought that up today. And the problem is, we, a lot of times we feel guilt and shame over those actions, and so we don't know what to do about it. So we come to a group or an accountability group, and we confess that, and then we go back and we do it again, and you confess that, and you go back and do it again, and you confess that, and it's this repetitive pattern, nothing changes, right? Maybe you've been there. And, and I always challenge young adults, hey, if you want to break that pattern, there's only one way I've ever seen to have that happen. You have to stop wanting to do it. How do you stop wanting to do it? How do you stop that? The only way that I've seen that work is to realize that you can't handle it and you can't stop doing this on your own. Until you desire your relationship with God more than you're desiring that and you don't want to break your relationship with God by giving in to that, it'll never happen. And so here's what I started doing as a young adult when I was struggling in that area. I, when it would happen, I would start thinking thoughts. I would go, okay, God, I want more of you. And I, and I know this sounds really lame to some of you, but God is real. We just talked about it. His presence is in the room. He cares more about your hurts and hangups than we do. And so I started praying, reading God's word and go, God, I need some help. Help me. And it was crazy what happened. After like a year of doing that, I stopped desiring to break that relationship with God because it was awesome. I started hearing from God. I started seeing him working in my life. And I'm like, I don't want to break this. I don't want to ruin that. And it's like, I always tell people, when you first stop drinking soda, you like have those sugar cravings and you're like, I, I got to have it. And eventually after a year of doing that, you don't even desire it anymore. It kind of feels like, why would I want that? And before you know it, you've realized that you didn't just have a, a willpower problem, you had a spiritual problem. Why you were desiring these things, you knew, you knew wasn't honoring to God. 
And it's not just true for young people. For all of us in these areas, when the enemy comes to use this, if we turn to God, here are some attitudes that make weak people strong. So we're going to turn this on its head this morning. We're going to fight back spiritually. Here's some attitudes that make weak people strong. Number one, saying, I want God. God first, other second, ourselves third. And stop thinking that the thing you're going to get is finally going to make you happy. The thing that's going to bring you the greatest purpose in your life is that relationship with God. You got to want it. You got to desire it. You got to say, I know he's here in the room with me and I'm going to encounter him. And sometimes you do that for a year and you feel like you're not hearing anything and I'm just talking to the wind. But eventually, when you develop the healthy habits in your life, you begin to hear God and see his working in your life and you can't deny it. And you got stories to tell that you tell friends that like, I prayed this prayer and God literally answered the prayer. I'm telling you, I've had stories in my life. I mean, even the planting of this church. I didn't say this at the other services. When this whole church got started, I was in this little hotel room outside of Atlanta, Georgia, and I just got on my knees and I prayed. I was leading a ministry in California. It was going really well. And I was like, God, I just have this stirring that something new is happening, and I just want to be in the center of your will. I'll do whatever you want. You want me to go to Africa? You want me to go to Asia? What do you want me to do? I'll tell my wife. We'll, we'll do whatever you want. And he said, move to Indiana, start a church, and three friends of mine from high school were going to help us do it. I was like, uh, that was not what I was saying, God. You heard me wrong. Within six months of that prayer, not only were we living here, but I sent an email to 40 people, said, hey, would you be interested in starting a church? They all said no, which I was devastated, except for three people. Those three friends of mine from high school, one who wasn't a Christian yet, one who was living in Southern California working for entertainment tonight. And everything God said in that prayer happened. And it freaked me out. You think it's going to make you feel better. It freaked me out. Because God is so real, guys. And he already knows all the stuff in your life. I was telling my son this week, the 13-year-old, I was like, dude, there's no point in lying to God. He already knows it, Right? Like some of you, we're, we're doing some things that we're not proud of and we know it's wrong and he, are, he already knows it. Why not admit it and then say, I want to start being obedient, start living for you. You got to want God. Number two, you, you got to understand the humility of we don't deserve the life he's given us. According to scripture, uh, the wages of sin, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23, the wages of that sin is death. Like, we don't deserve the eternal life. But because of the work of Jesus crucified on the cross, resurrected from the grave, overcoming sin and death itself, we can be a new creation. The old could be gone. The new could come. And we could actually have life. But it's all because of him, not because of us. And the third thing is an attitude, I can't handle this. I can't handle anything without God. I need his help. I'm going to stop pretending like this stuff isn't going on. I'm going to stop living in my own power and willpower. I'm going to stop pretending like I'm not doing things that aren't dishonoring to God and breaking my relationship 
for a little handful of honey that's causing problems not only in my life, but in other marriages and other relationships and other families and other households and other workplaces and other feelings and thoughts of other individuals and start saying, God, I need you. I can't handle this on our own. Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power, not our own. 2 Corinthians 12.9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient. Some of you feel like, no, 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 I, I can't, I can't. You don't know the things I've done. He would never forgive somebody like me. He says his grace is sufficient for you, for you, for me, and all the mistakes, but it takes us admitting it and repenting of it. And then here's the kicker, actually letting him change things to become the person he wants us to be. For my power, he says, is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, Paul writes, so that Christ's power may rest on me. You want the power of God in your life, start admitting your failures and your weaknesses, repenting of it, inviting God into it. You need him. I want to tell you, when Jet got so frustrated and angry, you know what I would have loved if he would have done? If he would have came to me and said, Dad, this, this is how this is making me feel. This is why I'm frustrated. Help, help me, Dad, to understand why this is important to you. And I want to learn from you. And I want to tell you, if you do that with your heavenly Father, he is going to help you become the person you created. He created you to be. He loves you more than any human being ever will. And he's not the one that wants you to live in shame and guilt the rest of your life over choices you made years, decades ago. He wants you to be forgiven. His grace is sufficient for you. Let's pray. God, I admit, first off, God, after 20-some years of attempting to live for you, I don't struggle with some of the things I used to, but the enemy has new ways of using these three things to destroy my life and those I care about. I repent of that, God. Forgive me for my pride. Forgive me, God, for any type of lust I have in my life. God, forgive me for all of the ways that I've failed and I think I deserve things in my entitlement, God. And then for those in the room right now, if you're struggling with lust, he already knows it. Why not just be honest about it? Talk to him. Let's do it. God, I just come to you and I do this beautiful act. I repent of the lust in my life. I do a 180 and I turn to you and ask for your forgiveness. If you're struggling with entitlement here, you feel like you deserve things you're not getting, pray this with me. God, I confess that I'm struggling with entitlement and I think I deserve things. I pray that you would give me the humility like Jesus had to put you first and others second in my life, to pick up my cross daily and follow you. And then finally, if you're struggling with pride in here, pray this with me. God, I confess that I'm struggling with uh, pride in my life. I think I can handle it and I'm pushing you out. God, I I'm no longer gonna do that. I repent of those thoughts and actions and I invite you in because I can't do this life and these actions without you. Help me, Lord Jesus. And then finally, I know there are some of you in the room that you, the truth is you don't even know if you have a relationship with him. You don't know if you're going to heaven when you die and you don't have to question that at all. He tells us that if you believe and receive his forgiveness and grace, you can share in life eternal. If, but it takes this beautiful action of repentance. So I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do it right now. Don't wait another moment. Pray this with me. God, I confess that I've been doing my life without you. And I don't wanna do that. I repent of that. 
I receive your forgiveness and I surrender my life to you fully, Lord Jesus. Use me. God, we love you. We give you this morning. We pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen.